This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. The Senate once again suspended its own rules to pass a bill Friday morning. Senate Bill 510 was introduced, read a second time, a third time, and passed by the chamber in less than five minutes. Senator Eric Tarr, Republican of Putnam County, said the move was necessary to address a budgeting oversight around the state's newly formed charter schools. We appropriated some money from the unexpended surplus from the previous fiscal year to go into fund for the charter school enrollment. So as we've started to have charter schools get established in West Virginia and their enrollment's coming in, one of the things that, that happened, it was an oversight as those getting started as brand new over this past fiscal year, is that their enrollment line actually wasn't created and funded on that. So it's about $2 million. It was just a little over $2 million for the enrollment to cover so that they can operate because our charter schools are part of the public school system. Uh, so we went back, and the reason we had to go and suspend rules and get it out there fast is that money was supposed to have been there by December. And so we're, you know, we're a few weeks there behind that now and getting it to when it should have been done. Uh, if we would have waited in the normal budget process, then that money wouldn't have been available until into July. On the Senate floor, Senator Robert Plymel, Democrat from Wayne County, says all publicly funded schools go through an increased enrollment process each fall, and Senate Bill 510 endorses that process for charter schools. The bill now goes to the House of Delegates for its consideration. The Senate's Workforce Committee met after the regular floor session this morning. As Chris Schulz reports, they heard two reports on the state's workforce situation, one about what's being done, and one about what could be done. Jason Green, Deputy Director of Workforce West Virginia, updated the committee Friday morning about the department's job matching and employment initiatives. Green told the committee the state's workforce participation is 55%, one of the lowest in the country. Afterwards, the committee heard from Reverend Matthew Watts on his plan to address those workforce participation issues. We have a simple plan as to how we can invest in our people. Take $300 million of the remaining offered dollars, allocate those dollars to cities and to towns and counties for those government municipalities based on the percent of poor people that live in those communities of West Virginia's total poor people population. So the House Speaker, Roger Henshaw, Clay County, second highest poverty rate in the state, has about 1% of poor people in the state of West Virginia. They would get more percent of their million. They get three million dollars, but that money would have to be invested strategically in projects that improve housing, health, 
Workforce, Economic, and Social Service Coordination. Senator Eric Tarr, Republican of Putnam County, thanked Watts for addressing the multiple problems challenging the state's workforce. He pointed at the new companies coming into the state with well-paying jobs and pushed back against the idea of sending money to communities. And so some of the investment that's went through to provide the infrastructure and provide the um, stimulus for jobs to come here create a lot of things that, a path for a lot of things that you just described. And so I take some issue with recommendation based on impoverished areas to send money back to in that redistribution if there's no infrastructure to support or not sufficient funding within that availability to support that infrastructure that can create those jobs. Watts agreed, so commending the, the lawmakers for funding infrastructure projects and bringing new jobs into the state. So I don't disagree with that. I think you would probably agree that if we don't have the educated workforce, if we don't have people with the skills to fill those jobs, then it's a challenge right now. You talk to anyone in advanced manufacturing and a lot of the they don't have the workforce. So I don't think it's either or. I think we are investing wisely and appropriately in infrastructure and job creation. I'm trying to say let's take a look at the labor force. Let's take a look at the educational levels of the children in school and some of the recently completed school. They don't have the skills to do a lot of these jobs. Watts also stated that after more than 20 years of advocating at the Capitol, this will be his last. This is my last campaign. You will not see me at the legislature after this year. I've been coming for 23 years. I've got 20 some pieces of legislation I personally have had a hand in writing. And several pieces of legislation are codified in law. And most of them have never been implemented or never been executed. In concluding, Watts told the committee if the state keeps doing what it's currently doing, things will only get worse. Senator Roland Roberts, Republican of Raleigh and committee chair, summarized his response to the presentation in two words. The first word is ouch, and the second word is amen. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz in Charleston. Getting young out-of-state professionals, especially in the medical industry, to make life and career in West Virginia is a major challenge. On West Virginia Rural Health Workforce Day in the legislature, Randy Yowie gets to the crux of helping meet that challenge. All these Capitol Rotunda medical displays and professionals are under the West Virginia Rural Health Association's umbrella, statewide the largest rural health interest group with a mission to unite communities, people, and systems to improve health care for rural West Virginians. Executive Director Rich Sutpin says to improve workforce recruitment and retention, the association is asking lawmakers to adopt a tax credit and incentive program for community-based preceptors of health profession students. What's a preceptor? A hometown medical mentor to show city folks the rural ropes. Preceptor is a physician or physician assistant or nurse practitioner who takes a student on to train them in a clinical setting and teach them um, and show them how to take care of patients uh, beyond the theoretical things they learn in the didactic years. And so the uh, preceptor spends usually a month with uh, their student um, and so uh, full-time the student sees patients alongside that preceptor. The preceptor provides continuing education to build upon what they learn during their didactic curriculum. Aiden Flanagan, a third-year medical student at WVU from Chicago, gave me an A1C glucose test that I passed with flying colors, by the way. Aiden says he was drawn to the Mountain State and its people. 
I've always had a passion for working in rural communities and primarily in underserved communities and I felt that uh, after being in West Virginia for the past three years I want to continue being here and um, providing care where people need it most. Aiden says from experience establishing that tax credit for preceptors, their proposal claiming up to three $500 credits for precepting students would encourage more urban health professionals to follow a rural career path. I think it's important to pair students with physicians that understand their community. And if you don't have that relationship, then you're not going to be able to uh, better a community over generations. You're just going to give them an instance of help rather than a sustainable, uh, sustainable health care. So I think it's important to have uh, as many incentives as you can to ensure that a student and a preceptor stay committed to one community. Aiden says it's also important to have financial security. But when the mission is to improve rural health care, he says he's on board. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Many West Virginians have streams and creeks near their homes. Now, a bill to keep those streams clean may soon go to the governor's desk for signature. Randy Yowie has more. The House passed Senate Bill 143, the Adopt-a-Stream Bill, unanimously. The legislation sets up a statewide initiative similar to the successful Adopt-a-Highway program. In West Virginia, there are currently 25,000 volunteers who have been responsible for removing more than 40 million pounds of litter since the highway program began. Delegate Jonathan Pinson, a Republican from Mason County, hopes to do the same with waterways. He lives by streams and the Ohio River. He says the Adopt-a-Stream program will not only help remove the embarrassing trash, old building materials, tires, and whatnot from our many smaller waterways, it will help reduce erosion and flooding. When we start to see uh, that different um, passages have been blocked, different culverts have been blocked because of tires and trash, that does create localized flooding. Furthermore, this is going to allow us, as we continue to focus on tourism, as we continue to look at economic growth and development of West Virginia, we do not have to say, hey, come here, plant your business, move here, bring your family, please forgive our garbage in the stream. Pinson says the mechanism for managing Adopt-a-Highway will be adapted to Adopt-a-Stream. The bill has passed the Senate and House and now goes back to the Senate for final approval. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey. The House Committee on Seniors, Families and Children approved House Bill 2538 Friday. That legislation aims to develop an online portal to support foster placement and kinship placement with the specific needs for their foster children. Delegate Jonathan Pinson, a Republican from Mason County, is a member of the Committee on Seniors, Families and Children and a staunch supporter of this legislation. Well, what we see now are uh, antiquated delivery of messages. So as a foster parent, a current foster home, as a former adoptee and adoptor, I know that sometimes you make a telephone call and you wait several days or in some cases several weeks in order to get an answer because everybody's busy. So what this does is it begins to streamline the communication process to allow for effective and efficient communication. Pinson says the creation of the information portal will revolutionize care for West Virginia foster children, citing the Ombudsman report that identified cited problems in communications as one of the major complaints the department receives. Pinson is also a co-sponsor of a bill to restructure the DHHR, but feels the creation of this portal is an excellent start that will provide immediate resources. 
The job of legislative reporter is paying attention. There's so much going on, however, we don't have time to catch it all and even less time to report on it all. Often on this show on Fridays, our reporters will sit down to discuss what they saw this week and what they expect the major stories will be in the coming weeks. We like to bring in reporters from other news organizations as well to get their perspective because no one reporter can catch everything. In our Capitol studio now, we have Randy Yowie and Chris Schulz, and they're joined by Ogden Newspapers reporter Steve Allen Adams. Thanks so much, Bob. Here we are, our Friday Reporter Roundtable. Uh, with me, as always, is our legislative reporter from West Virginia Public Broadcasting, Chris Schultz. And joining us today, and we appreciate it, is Stephen Allen Adams with Ogden Newspapers. Tell me a little bit about Ogden Newspapers and where people can read your stuff. Sure, you can pretty much find me in the northern half of the state. We're talking Parkersburg News, Weirton uh, Daily Times, the Intelligencer in Wheeling, the uh, Intermountain in, in Martinsburg, the, the Journal in Martinsburg, the Intermountain in Elkins, and uh, I'm even in the Clarksburg Exponent Telegram. And you've been covering the legislature for how long? Five, nearly five years now. Okay. Well, let's start out with the big elephant in the room, and that's tax reform. I mean, uh, Governor Justice is on his second statewide tour, now promoting what he and the House have been aligned at a 50% tax cut, graduated over the next three years. But yesterday, President Blair said we got to prioritize expenses that an income tax cut would decrease general revenue by 162 million in fiscal 23 and a billion dollars or more in fiscal 24 so what's the senate going to propose well that's interesting they have talked about and they haven't released any details on what they're doing but they kind of want to do kind of want up the governor in a way they want to do a 50 percent uh, cut in the personal income tax in year one now I asked whether that's going to be retroactive to January, the beginning of the tax year. They don't know yet, and there's a lot they don't know in regards to how that's going to work. It'll be interesting to see what they propose because they've raised concerns, as you just talked about, A, about expenses, and B, they believe that the governor's plan might be a little bit too uh, aggressive, I think is the word that I've heard used by a few. And there's a real concern about how that's going to impact future revenue and future budgets. But if you're going to do 50% in one year versus 30 plus 10 plus 10, which is the governor's plan, I don't know how the Senate plan would be less uh, fiscally irresponsible than the governor's. We'll just have to see what that looks like. And Eric Tarr told me they're still gonna try to incorporate elements from Amendment 2, which is reducing that personal property tax on business and inventory, but slip it in as a rebate. And then maybe even rebate as well the vehicle tax. Now, Chris, I know that you talked to Sean O'Leary, uh, a, a policy analyst. Who's he with and what did he say? With the West Virginia Center on Policy and Budget. And what he told us is, is exactly what Stephen just kind of outlined, that they're very concerned about the impact of this cut moving forward. If you look three years down the road when you have that full 50% cut, that's a quarter of the state's budget that's gone. And so, you know, we've heard the governor talk about creating this essentially a second rainy day fund using um, federal money from the, from the COVID uh, emergency. But the concern there is, is that uh, a lot of these people are saying, and, and the West Virginia <laughs> Center on Budget and Policy included, are saying that we should be using that money on investments. We should be using that money on expenditures right now while we have it, because we don't know the next time that we're gonna have this money. Um, so their big thing is, is that reduction in revenue, because that's really gonna be um, a sticking point, and, and we're not sure when or if you're gonna be able to get that revenue back. 
And, and we know that the feud continues, if you will, <laughs> between the Senate and the executive branch. And you have an idea of how this all may uh, roll out at the end of the session. Well, yes and no. I mean, the problem that we're seeing, seeing right now is the Senate and the governor are not talking to each other, at least from what I understand, at least not talking to leadership. Uh, I'm also concerned from what I've talked to with some lawmakers behind the scenes that the House and the Senate are not really talking to each other, at least to the, the leadership of the finance committees. That's a real concern as well. And of course, we're only about a quarter of the way through the legislative session. There's time to work a lot of this stuff out and come up with a compromise. But I mean, you're asking me today if that vote uh, were to happen in the Senate, I don't know that uh, it would go through, certainly not the way that the governor proposes it and the way the House does. And the House seems to be on the same page as the governor. But there's not a lot of communication going on right now. And that doesn't bode well uh, for trying to come up either with a plan that the governor will be uh, like, or even a plan that the House and the Senate can override a veto for and, and get through on their own. Well, we'll be watching next week. I mean, this is going to continue evolving as we speak throughout the session and we're a third of the way through. On Monday, that's right. Yep. Um, campus carry, that's the other big elephant in the room, and I guess I should quit using that term. But uh, so far, most of the major and minor colleges and universities throughout West Virginia say, no, we don't want it. What's your guys' take? Well, I've been watching the, uh, of course, there's been a couple of bills that have come through. Campus Carry is the main one, which we're waiting to see uh, where it's going to go, what's going to happen over on the House side, because it certainly got a more, I would say, more conservative, smaller group within the Republican majority that may be very well be inclined for trying to take off some of the restrictions that were in the bill as the Senate passed it over, including the limitations on sporting events, uh, lockers uh, in the dorms, things of that nature. We could see some limitations uh, taken off of, uh, off of that by that more conservative group. So the real interesting debate will be whether it gets on the committee agenda, and especially when it gets on the floor, what will happen? We know that the presidents of both Marshall and University have asked them to keep the bill intact. We'll see if that happens. And you heard Stephen mention the fact that we know that there are people who support this bill. There's no question about that. Eleven other states have passed very similar bills, all in relatively recent years. Obviously, the pandemic kind of slowed that uh, push down. But people want this bill. I think what's interesting is, um, as we've already alluded to, there's a lot of people that don't. Um, you know, we heard from West Virginia University's SGA. They came out with uh, a statement saying that, you know, the student body does not want this. Uh, there was obviously a little bit of um, dissent in that space. I believe it was uh, Senator Azinger's own son uh, who, who was part of that dissent. Um, but we've also got, you know, the faculty senate at uh, WVU. Unfortunately, I wish I knew about the other universities, but those are the two that were discussed on the floor. And both of these groups are saying we're not interested in having guns uh, on campus. Now, the Republican argument is that the guns are already there. This is just formalizing the process of how people are bringing them onto campus. Not only do we have campus carry, but now we have teacher carry as well with the uh, let me get this right, SPOs, school protection officers. I was in the uh, Education Committee hearing the other day where they hashed this out and talked to the bill sponsor, Doug Smith, Delegate Doug Smith, and basically there's a lot of people that are aligned with this bill on, in both the House and Senate to allow K through 12 public school and private school, if you will, teachers to be well-trained and, and, and well-informed and go through um, behavioral training, but then be allowed to have concealed carry and be in the classroom with a gun. You wouldn't know 
what teacher had it or how many you had in your school and uh, what's your take on where this stands right now? It looks popular to me. Sure. I, I think the one thing that most people don't realize, and it was not made very clear during the debate, and I listened to that debate, is it is permissive language. So a teacher would, or a school staff or principal would have to apply to be able to, to take part in the program. Then they'd have to go through uh, the training through, the, I believe, the uh, Division uh, Department of Homeland Security. Right. And they would have to go through other steps before they get that, including a public hearing, even though they wouldn't be identified in the public hearing. So there's a lot of steps you got to go through, but there are teachers that would probably be willing to do it, and I feel like Dale Lee, the president of the West Virginia Education Association, more or less admitted that. He wasn't a fan of the bill but and wouldn't do it himself, but he also understood there would be some teachers that would be interested in doing that. So we'll have to see he what said, happens. He said that. it was half and half almost. That yeah. Half teachers like it, half the teachers don't, and they're so concerned about the safety. But this is all voluntary, and it boils down to the county. At first, it's up to the county's decision on whether they want to do it or not, and then it boils down to the school, and it's the school's decision on whether they want to do it or not. Some people said here in West Virginia, there may be a lot of teachers that already are concealed carrying right now. Well, yeah, and that's, that go, kind of goes back to the, con, uh, the campus carry bill, right? Uh, this may already be happening. This is an attempt to formalize that process. Um, but again, you know, talking about the opposition, we heard Delegate Daniel Walker this week talking about the safety concerns about bringing guns into schools. This is something that she's talked about uh, for years now, as long as this has been a discussion um, across the state and in the country. Honestly, you know, this is obviously a reaction to the concerns about violence in our schools, um, both mass shootings and, and more broadly. Um, but, you know, West Virginia has other initiatives to try and address that. We are trying to get and spending quite a lot of money on ensuring that we have uh, school safety officers in schools and uh, law enforcement presence in general. And I just think it's interesting, especially Daniel Walker's point about uh, exposing children to guns. As you said, you know, you, we, we wouldn't know who was carrying the weapon. It's a concealed carry, uh, ultimately. But, you know, small hands open many doors, as they say. So, so that, is, that is, I think, the biggest concern. But then you get Delegate Elliot Pritt from Fayette County, a seventh grade social studies teacher. And he says, heaven forbid, that a shooter comes into his classroom, then the only thing between his students and the shooter is him and a couple of chairs that he can throw. He said he's reluctant about it, but he'd rather have a gun than not have it at that point in time. As someone who's been through uh, uh, active shooter training in my previous life as a teacher, uh, it, it is incredibly stressful. And, and, and I, you know, I cannot understate that. If you've seen these videos where they're teaching teachers how to barricade their doors in, in special ways by using the legs of, of, no teacher should have to go through that. But unfortunately, it is a reality. And this is simply a Band-Aid on a much, much larger issue that we have, not only in West Virginia, but in this country as a whole. Let's, let's jump over to unemployment benefit reform. We're hearing a lot about that this week, and I know that Acting Workforce West Virginia Director Scott Atkins says that there's some people that are working the system, for lack of a better term. And so maybe we should reduce the weeks that they get paid. Maybe we should have them do a harder search for work. Um, is this something that you think has legs? Maybe. Uh, 
I will be interested to see how the House handles that bill. Now, this was passed something similar to it by the Senate last session as well, tying the unemployment rate uh, or unemployment benefits, weeks of unemployment benefits to the unemployment rate. Now, that bill last year got stuck over in the House. In fact, it was a deal between the House Democratic Caucus and Republican leadership where Republican leadership agreed to park that bill uh, in exchange for House Democrats, Democrats not slowing down other legislation. And that bill died over there. So it'll be interesting to see if there's an appetite for that bill again this year uh, over there. But that, if it stops, it's going to stop in the House. Chris, I know you have a take on the other side of the issue when it comes to the people that are out there trying to find a job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, Senator Caputo, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was the one who stood up in opposition on the Senate floor. And, and I can't really say it better than him. You know, times are tough and we live in a state that um, as you know, going back to the to the taxes and the and the budget discussion, we live on boom and bust right now with uh, the energy sector. You know, right now we're in a we're in a boom cycle. We could be in a bust very soon, and there's no saying how long those last. It's certainly not necessarily 12 or 20 weeks, which is what the bill uh, entails. So I mean, you know prescribing that so aggressively and reducing by all, over a month the amount of unemployment that people can receive is concerning. Now, the other part of the bill that I think is encouraging is this Workforce West Virginia part. You know, they're really, they really are trying to work with people to get them employed. We know there's a lot of new jobs coming into this state and training is going to be a concern. So we'll just have to see how this all ends up working out on the House. It's going to be an interesting week next week and, and for the rest of the session as well. Chris, as always, it's good to work with you. Uh, Stephen Allen, it's great to have you here. We really appreciate Appreciate it. Thanks. So that's been our reporter roundtable for this Friday. Have a good weekend. Back to you, Bob. Thanks for that, Randy. That brings another week to a close. Thanks for being here with us. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.